Hello music and movie fans. This is Sucken, your host on Sucken on Cinema and Sound, and I'm joined here today by my sister. Hi guys, my name is Kylie, and I'm super excited to be here with my brother Sutton today. Absolutely, because today we're doing a movie that I really enjoyed. This is The Killing, the third movie directed by Stanley Kubrick. So this movie uh, starts off with a uh, with a number of scenes introducing a number of different characters, and what they all have in common is that they are all identified as having some kind of debt or financial issues. And then we learn that they're all part of a mob that plans to basically rob about $2 million worth of money from a racetrack. So then the movie proceeds to go through the various preparations and then the actual uh, commencing of this robbery. And one of the, I think the most unique things about this picture is that uh, when it actually gets to the robbery, uh, it has, of course, has a lot of the different uh, characters in the mob, uh, you know, doing each of their roles and uh, like creating diversions and things like that. And to tell what each of these characters are doing, even if they're doing them at the same time, it the story takes a non-linear approach. So what that means is that it will show what like character A is doing at three o'clock up until 3.30, and then they'll go back to 3 o'clock and show what character B is doing at that time. So what did you think of The Killing? I really enjoyed this movie. I don't watch a lot of, you know, black and white 50s movies, um, so I really enjoy them, and especially this one. I think that the non-linear approach worked really well for the plot because there were just so many different things going on at the same time, and it would have been really overwhelming if they just kept cutting over to different scenes, so I think it was really good that they broke it down into each individual um, member of the mob and what they were doing to try and um, get this money. I agree, and to tell the non-linear, to support the non-linear structure of the story, I point out to you how it repeats shots of the race, the same shots of the racetrack, so that even with these different kind of, when the story kind of branches into what each of the characters are doing at the same time, It'll show. It'll eventually get back to the same shots of like the seventh race of the gay at the racetrack, and the voiceover making the same announcements. So it's really interesting how it creates like a key point, so that it helps to it helps you to really keep in mind, like where, like what time each each uh, character <laughs> is doing what action and where we are in the story. Another thing that really makes a long linear approach interesting is that we see the same scenes told from the perspectives of different characters. Uh, it actually reminded me a lot of Back to the Future Part 2, which is a movie that we both enjoy a lot. Uh, and you know, something that's really special about that, that movie is that they refilm scenes from the first movie because the characters travel back to the events of the first movie, and then we see the same shots from the first movie but told from their perspectives. So it's really interesting seeing how they recreated those uh, those scenes, but from different camera angles and things like that. And it really added to the complexity of the narrative. And one interesting tidbit is that the initial script was always going to be like this, how it would eventually take a nonlinear approach during the actual robbery. 
However, uh, this movie stars Sterling Hayden as the main, as the leader of the mob, Johnny Clay, and there were uh, people expressed concern that the nonlinear the nonlinear narrative would be too complicated for the mo- mo- for the average moviegoer to understand. And Johnny Clay's uh, agent actually uh, was furious, saying that it would damage the actor's career. So then the director, Kubrick, and the producer, uh, Harris, went back to the editing room. They took the movie completely apart, and then they re-edited back together, but so that it was told completely chronologically. And then when they did that, they kind of looked at each other awkwardly and went, Well, this stinks. So then they took the movie back apart again, and then put it back to the way it was the first time. And... Uh, I as we've already said, I think the like the experimental nature really helps to elevate this movie, uh, like beyond other I guess uh heist movies. It's really, uh, I think Kubrick is known as a very experimental and avant-garde director. And I think the nonlinear approach that he took to this movie, uh, was really a sign of things to come since this was one of his first movies. I think other than the nonlinear approach that this movie takes, another thing that really helps keep alive in this film is the the acting and the characters. There isn't that much action in the beginning of the movie because a lot of his, uh, a lot of the beginning of the movie is dedicated to introducing a very colorful cast of characters before before tying them all together and introducing the mob that they are all a part of. Uh, like how we get George, who is, uh, I think, maybe one of the most comedic characters in the movie, uh, because he, he's, like, really easily, he's very gullible and very easily taken advantage of by his wife, who wants to, who really kind of uses him as a tool to find out more about this mob, and then she is actually cheating on him for another man named Val, and then they're having their own plot, to steal the money that Mob is planning to take. The character of Maurice is actually really funny as well, and the Mob kind of recruited him to make a distraction during the horse racing. So he pretended to be um, a drunk person, and then a bunch of police officers went over to him and tried to control him, and he kept on fighting all of them because he was really strong, and it took like eight of them to eventually... Um, take him away and you know there were just hundreds of people staring at them because he was used as a good distraction so people didn't see what was happening with the horses I agree that was a very funny scene Uh, this was my second time seeing this movie the first time I I saw like a really long time ago but this that was one of the scenes that I remember the most from the first time I saw it it was some it's a scene that would never happen today because she gave the policeman would just chase him, but yeah, he they uh, the policeman just tear his shirt off. So then you're looking at you're looking at his chest, and then he just and then there were even like a couple cops, uh, like trying to like I guess pin him down at the same time, and he just like swings the, both of them over with his arms. It's a very exciting event that is part of the much larger robbery scene. And I think 
uh, to get maybe get into spoilers, it's also really exciting to see how, uh, even though it's very intricately planned and there were many moving parts to the robbery part, which the character of Johnny comes up with, it's really interesting to see how slowly parts of it come wrong. An example of this is when he hires somebody to shoot the horse while during the summer three, so just when the robbery takes place. The purpose of this is to create yet another diversion, and he actually he does succeed, but he is fatally shot by the police when he attempts to escape. Uh, even before that, though, things go wrong, like the, the parking lot that he was supposed to uh, park in is closed, uh, but then he bribes the uh, the worker to let him in, but and then Axe succeeds, but then the worker keeps pestering him, like giving him a horseshoe for good luck, and then he has to shoo him away. Of course, the robbery is built up as being the centerpiece of the movie. A lot of the movie is uh, is getting set up for it. It's introducing the different members of the mob, and then it uh, goes to uh, the preparations, like hiring the the person to get drunk and the per the other person to. Uh, murder the or kill shoot the horse uh, and I think the robbery succeeds remar remarkably well as really being like the big payoff of, of the picture and I already mentioned how the director Stanley Kubrick uh, implements repeating shots and re repeating of the like the announcing the voiceover of the uh, risk track announcer in order to really set the timeline straight in the non-linear structure of the robbery. And overall, I think the cinematography in this movie is really strong. Uh, the, I said, I think I mentioned how this is his third movie, and the his previous two movies were, I think, rather shoddy, but one of the very consistent qualities in, the, in his previous movies was the good camera work. And I think one of the most, I think the most, mo one of the most memorable shots is when, uh, another spoiler, but when the character George, uh, shoots Val, who was, uh, his wife's boyfriend, when they confront the mob about getting their money. And then he uses a handheld camera to, I think, really indicate that's taken from, uh, George's point of view, and he's like really weary and just trying to figure out what's what just happened, and slowly pans to uh, like the dead bodies on the floor, and I think it, it even though it's a movie from 1956 and it is in black and white, I think it is one of the most modern shots of the movie. We also mentioned some of the comedic moments in this movie. In terms of the characters, there was George, and then there was also Maurice. But I thought there was also some irony in how in how the uh, the robbery actually concluded. One of these is when Johnny takes the uh, purchases a, one of the largest suitcases he can find so that he can stuff all the cash in it. But then he gets held back at the airport when trying to escape because his suitcase is too large. And another comedic moment was when Johnny had to actually check his luggage because it was too large to take on the plane. So they were taking it outside and there was a woman with a dog and the dog started chasing the man taking all the luggage to the plane. So he had to quickly swerve and then the suitcase with all the money tipped over and it flew open and all the money just went all over the place and the wind was taking it everywhere. 
and they knew that they were busted and their whole plan had failed. So that was a really funny scene as well, just with the dog. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why. I feel like dogs in movies are always evil <laughs> or made evil. Uh, yeah, it was another mo- moment that I really remembered the first time I saw this movie. And I was confused at first when it first had like the lady talking about her dog at the security. And I was like, okay, why why are they spending so much time on this? But it did. It was interesting to see how that actually did come to play later. And I forgot the dog's involvement. Involvement. Uh, there was, I think, actually a lot of set up and payoff moments in this movie, which I think really goes to show how well structured and rich in the script is. Uh, one of the moments is, of course, Val, who appears at the beginning of the movie, and. He's just introduced as the boyfriend of Sherry, who is uh, George's wife, and he only shows up later when uh, when he comes when he arrives to, I guess, turn on the mob and collect the money. So it's as tra- the moment is as shocking to us as it is to the mob, since uh, we forgot about how he comes into play in this movie. I think another setup pay- setup payoff moment is uh, when. Johnny initially purchases the large suitcase, and then there's the scene of him, like, of showing him in a very abandoned part of the country, uh, and getting the money, all of the money out of the large sack, and then putting it in the suitcase, and then there, and then there are shots of him having difficulty with the, with the, uh, locking the, like, the locks that hold the suitcase together. So I thought that established that the suitcase's locks weren't necessarily that reliable. Uh, and then of course that came into play when the suitcase eventually sprung open at the end, when it gets, uh, when it falls off of the cart. I think that time played a really important role in this movie, especially with how intricate their plan was. I think that if something happened one minute behind schedule, then the whole plan would have failed like for one example at the end of the movie when johnny was actually running late bringing the money to all the other people in the mob george started drinking because he was getting worried that johnny took all the money for himself if johnny was on time then george never would have started drinking and he probably wouldn't have shot everyone so i think that time really did play a really big factor in this movie I agree, both in terms of the story and also in terms of the production. Of course, you talked a lot about how it has an effect on them choosing to tell the, the robbery in a non-linear fashion, but it's also one of many instances of how their intricate, intricately planned robbery slowly goes awry. Of course, the first instance is in one of the very first scenes when George tells his wife uh, the plans to the robbery. And then she does her snooping and tells her boyfriend. This also happens, of course, with the hired horse assassin. And he, he does succeed in performing his security as part of the robbery, but then he is shot on while driving out. This movie was actually uh, cheaply made for the, for even for the 50s. It had a budget of $320,000. Uh, it was Kubrick's third film, so he wasn't a notable director at the time. And they did manage to strike a deal with United Artists, where they would agree to finance the movie if they got a big star for it. They got Sterling Hayden, and they didn't think that he was that big of a star, but 
So they financed $200,000. Uh, so then the rest of the money actually came out of the producer's own pocket, as well as he got a loan from his father. And yeah, it's really dedicated filmmaking. Uh, unfortunately, because United Artists did not finance the whole movie, they made a profit, but overall, the film did, was not a profitable movie. When comparing the box office results from the bu to the budget, uh, they just weren't willing to give it a full uh, like nationwide release. However, that does not mean that the movie was a failure because it was it really received critical acclaim, and it was very common actually for critics to put it on their top ten lists of the of the year, where they would uh, come up with their list of their ten favorite movies of the entire year, and that's. Definitely not a, an uncommon thing to see in filmmaking, where even a movie that gets really great reviews uh, doesn't make them doesn't make back its money. I think a modern example of that is West Side Story, which is directed by Steven Spielberg, and incidentally, he he was actually a good friend of Stanley Kubrick's. Uh, and unlike Stanley Kubrick, when he made this movie, Steven Spielberg is probably world famous. But that movie ha is like a box office bomb. It, I think it had a budget of about a hundred thousand, a hundred million dollars, and it made so far it's made back like thirty five million. Uh, so, I think that definitely goes to show that a movie's box office returns cannot determine its quality. Avengers Endgame is the highest grossing movie of all time, but is it the best? And this movie actually had a very big impact on modern gay directors. I think some of the biggest uh, modern gay filmmakers are Quentin Tarantino and Christopher Nolan. And Quentin Tarantino, so that his uh, debut film, Reservoir Dogs, had a, took a lot of inspiration from The Killing. And he said that uh, basically what he want, wanted Reservoir Dogs to do with him was what, he, was what The Killing did for Stanley Kubrick. And uh, one of my favorite, I think, cinematic scenes is from the, the beginning of The Dark Knight, which is uh, the, the Batman movie. And it starts with a robbery with a bunch of guys in clown masks. And Christopher Nolan said that that was inspired from the scene in The Killing, where Johnny sports the, dons the clown mask so that he can... Uh, so that he can hold the, the employees at gunpoint and make them steal or rather put off the cash inside of his bag. You know, I think an, an ironic thing was that since we did the, our last podcast together, I was really having this internal struggle over what to, what our next podcast together should be. I was wondering, should it be another Doctor Who serial or uh, like uh, a modern, somewhat modern gay movie? And then this was actually a movie that I was planning to see anyway. And I just thought, I'm eh, sure I'll drag you into it. So that it'll basically kill two birds with one stone. That's pretty fitting with the name of the movie. And I mentioned to you how this movie was made by the same filmmaker who did uh, 2001 Space Odyssey and did Clockwork Orange. And both those movies are very philosophical, uh, like very high production masterpieces. And I'm not going to act like The Killing, which is one of his early works, is like as... Uh, meaningful as those later films, I think it definitely be belongs, deserves a place within that canon of works. 
it it's not necessarily the first Kubrick movie, but I think it is definitely the first great Kubrick movie. I really enjoyed this movie, and it was a, a big pleasure to see the second time and see all the I think very intricate mapping out the plan and then seeing it executed. And I'm I'm really happy that you enjoyed watching it with me. I had a lot of fun watching this with you, and I can't wait to watch another movie soon and make another podcast. Yeah, I look forward to it. Well, thank you for tuning in, and this has been such an on cinema and sound.